All right, well, if you have your Bible, or your Bible app, Genesis 19, your worship guide also works. The passage is printed there. <clears throat> We've been in this long series going through the story of Abraham's life, focusing each week on who God shows himself to be in that in each particular passage. And this week is the third week in this little side story about Abraham's nephew, Lot. And this is part of Abraham's story, but it's kind of a little side story. And uh, the last week's message with Lot uh, being rescued from the divine judgment of the city of Sodom, we saw that God is a righteous judge. He's also a savior. And it was a sobering passage. Well, this week is another sobering passage. Uh, this is another one of those passages that church growth strategists would say when you're a brand new pastor at a small church, don't preach this passage because <laughs> it's kind of a downer. Uh, but it's God's word. And all of God's word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. All of God's word is useful for us. God has something for us in every single page of the Bible. And every single page of the Bible points to Jesus. That's who God is. So I'm excited this morning uh, to get to share with you where we find Jesus in this story. Uh, and there's a lot for us here. So if you would, uh, according to our new practice, let's stand for the reading of God's word. And I'll start in verse 23. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah towards all the land of the valley. And, and he looked, and behold, smoke of the land went up like smoke of a furnace. So it was when God destroyed the cities of the valley. God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on the earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine. We will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn, the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did, he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami, and he is the father of the Amorites to this day. 
This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So this week I was studying this passage and considering it and, um, you know, lots coming off a pretty big spiritual high, I would imagine. If you get our weekly email and you read the devotions that are included, this is one of the things we talked about. It's lots coming out of this experience of being saved from the end of the world, a, a kind of ending of the world that he knew. He was saved out of Sodom. And he had asked the angels who came to rescue him, he said, don't, he said, go to the hills. And he said, don't make me go to the hills. Please, please, please let me stay in the city. Here, I'll go to this little city, Zoar. Now, Zoar was one of the cities on the in the Jordan Valley, on the plain, along with Sodom and Gomorrah and Zeboim. And all these cities on the plain were destroyed with Sodom. But God spared Zoar because Lot wanted to go there. So that was last time. He experienced God in this incredible way. And in Peter's epistle, uh, later in the Bible, we find, find out that Lot was considered righteous before God. He was a believer. Now, he wasn't righteous because of his good works, because we have seen that he's fairly lacking in good works. Uh, but he's righteous actually the same way we become righteous, because he believed that God, through Abraham's offspring, would save the world. And for, that's what, how we get righteous today. We believe in Abraham's offspring, Jesus Christ. Savior of the world. So that was last time. And now Lot, coming off the spiritual high, it's natural, it's life, goes into kind of a time of spiritual low. However, this particular low is like lower than low. It's real bad. Uh, we don't have to repeat the events. We just read them. Uh, Lot had a really bad time. So did his daughters. This week, studying this, I thought, what does this have to do with us? What are we supposed to do with this passage? So I worked on it, worked on it. And one of the commentators that I use regularly that I go to, it's good to, you know, I, if, if I see something in the text and I'm the only person who's seen it, that's not a good thing. Uh, so I go to commentaries. And one of the people I like to read is Dr. Tony Evans. Uh, sometimes Tony Evans is, he's a pastor. He's, uh, he, He's a man of color. He pastors a large multi-ethnic church in the Dallas area. He's on TV. So because he's on TV, sometimes people forget he's actually a really credible Bible scholar. And I love his work. So I pull up Tony Evans' commentary, which I check often. It helps me get a good perspective. Somebody from a different tradition, black church tradition. How, how is he, how's Tony reading this? What, what, what can I? The first sentence in Tony Evans' commentary on this passage is, and I quote, the conclusion of Lot's story is a pitiful one, period. <laughs> I read that and I thought, I'm not way out there. Uh, here's one of my Bible scholar, you know, go-to guys. He, it's pitiful. This story is pitiful. Um, but looking in this story, believing that all of God's word is for us today, all of it's useful, all of this shows us Christ. And learning from the community of believers, people like Tony Evans or other commentators and Bible scholars, what was the voice of the spirit-filled community 
see here. What are they? Uh, I see two things in this passage for us today. This is a warning passage. If you guys remember, the section of Abraham's life that we're in is the what does it mean to live under God's covenant of grace section. Every episode in this till we, the end of Abraham's life helps us to understand what does it mean to be a believer? What does it mean to, to be a Christian, really? Well, here in this, we see two things, two warnings, uh, really two pitfalls, two traps that as believers, as Christians, were susceptible to fall into. Lot fell spiritually into two pitfalls in this passage, two traps that made his life a pitiful mess. And they're traps that we today are susceptible to. Just like Lot fell into them, these are traps we fall into. So here's what I want to do. Two traps that we're susceptible to that lead to your life as a Christian becoming a becoming pitiful, <laughs> to quote Dr. Evans. All right, uh, here's the first one. Actually, we forgot to pray. Let's pray, and then I'll give you the two things. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's strange and beautiful and much bigger than us. I pray that you would speak to us through your word in this time. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. Okay, trap number one. We see this in the first, in verse 30. Um, it says, Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. The first trap in the Christian life in this passage that we're all susceptible to is what I'd like to call the quick fix spirituality trap. The quick fix trap. Quick fix spirituality. Quick fix spirituality says, once I deal with something, it's dealt with. It's done. I have a problem in my life. There's something I'm struggling with in my life with God. Well, I need to deal with it. And once I deal with it, it's over. We see Lot doing this. Lot had a problem. It was fear. It says he was afraid to live in Zoar. So what did he do? He fixed that problem. He left Zoar. He, remember when the angels, from last week, angels came and they said, Lot, Lot, we're gonna, God's going to destroy the city. Get out of here. Run to the hills. And Lot said, don't make me go to the hills. I'm a city guy. Please let me go to Zoar. And I said, okay, okay, okay. Well, he gets to Zoar and he's afraid. It's perfectly reasonable that Lot was afraid. Every other city on the plain was destroyed by hellfire and brimstone. And he was the one person rescued. Imagine if you were Lot rolling into the last city standing. And remember, if, if you remember from way back, Zoar and Zeboim and Gomorrah and Sodom, they were, they were political allies. They were, uh, they were like a team. Remember when Abraham fought the world war? All these people were together. So imagine your lot. You've been divinely rescued. Uh, let's just imagine that Portland is 
you know, this metro area. So let's imagine that Portland has been destroyed and Vancouver has been destroyed and Clackamas has been destroyed. And the only thing standing is Aloha, Oregon. And you roll into Aloha, the last place standing, and everybody there knows you're the guy or you're the lady that's responsible for all this. And all of a sudden you're, you know, you're the only guy rescued. Or this is the last city. Is God going to destroy this city? Maybe in Zoar, the people were doing the same kinds of things they were doing in Sodom. And Lot looked around and he said, this place is going down. Oh, I'm afraid. I know what I'll do. I'll fix it. I'll do what God told me to do originally. I'll go to the hills. It says, Lot was afraid. So he went to a cave. That's important. I, I think it's clear that Lot thought he was dealing with his fear. Um, but then we see, even after he leaves, even after he goes to the cave, fear continues, right? His daughter, daughter number one. Uh, we're the last people in the world. <laughs> they weren't the last people in the world. But it's perfectly reasonable that they would have thought that. Um, we're afraid. I'm paraphrasing here. There's, there's no one to be our husband. How are we going to continue the line of our family? Now, continuing one's family line was really important in ancient Near East culture. But also, let's put it in the context of this story. Throughout Abraham's life, God has linked global redemption to the continuing of Abraham's family line, right? So these daughters, they're thinking, God cares about continuing the line. Uh, we're, you know, we're here in this place. We got to do something. And what follows is a pitiful mess. Here's the big idea. There are things in our life, whether they be sins or sins effects, Maybe um, somebody else has sinned and it's hurt you and you're carrying around the shame or you're carrying around the pain. So sin and sin's effects, they plague our life as Christians. We have to deal with them regularly. And if we go about life like Lot does here, trying to handle our own stuff, quick fix spirituality, it never ends well. That's not how... The Christian life is meant to work. When I was in college, I'll tell you a story from my own life. When I was in college, I remember I was 18, and I was hanging out with a bunch of my friends, and a bunch of my friends smoked cigarettes. And I thought, you know, I think it'd be cool if I smoked cigarettes. Uh, that sounds like it's something I'd like to do. Now, kids, cigarettes are really bad. Smoking cigarettes is not cool. Uh, but I, at the time, I thought, you know, this, this is something I think I'd like to try. Now, I knew they were really bad for me, and I knew that they're cigarettes, if you don't know, they're super, super addictive. Uh, kids, addiction, that means something that even if you want to stop it, it's really hard to stop because it like, gets in your body. So I started doing what my friends were doing. I thought, you know what, I'd go buy a pack of cigarettes. You know, I, I'm going to do, I'm just going to have you know, one or two of these a week, just when I'm with my friends, no big deal. And I'd go buy a pack of cigarettes and I'd smoke a cigarette. And then I just, I would just feel so guilty. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. They're addictive. 
they're really bad for me. Um, I, you know, I think I can handle this, but you know what? I'll just throw the pack away. So I take the pack of cigarettes and I throw it in the trash. Done. Fixed. Uh, I'm back to doing great and I'm no longer a smoker. Well, you can guess what happens next. This is one reason cigarettes are dangerous. Uh, the next day I'd go, you know, maybe I think I want to, and I'd go buy a pack of cigarettes. And a couple weeks later, I'd be overcome with guilt because I wasn't just smoking one or two a week. I was smoking them all the time because they're highly addictive. And I'd feel bad, but then I'd get overcome with guilt. I'm going to fix this. I know what to do. I just got to, I got to get rid of it. Throw them in the trash. Well, the next day, over and over and over again. And I smoked cigarettes for years. And it continued because I thought that when it was time for me to quit, it could be a quick fix. We see Lot doing this. Let me tell you something about the gospel and about how it works. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, so we could be justified before God. That's something that God does to us in a moment in time. God, Abraham believed God, and he credited it to him as righteousness. We don't know when it happened for Lot, but it happened sometime because it says in the Bible he was a righteous man. When we become Christians, we put our faith in Jesus. God makes a declaration over us. He declares us righteous. And his, our sins no longer separate us from him in, in an ultimate sense. He looks at us, he sees righteous person, even though in our actions we're still caught up in sin, kind of like Lot. At the cross, Jesus broke sin's power over us. When you trust in Jesus, sin no longer names you. It no longer dominates you. He took your guilt and your shame off of you and your family line. Gone. However, we still struggle with sin. Jesus breaks sin's power over us, but sin still dwells in our life. We still go about sinning. And these, this, this is the difference between what we refer to as justification, God declaring us righteous, and sanctification, God working in us through the Holy Spirit, through word and sacrament and life together, day by day in a process of making us holy. I quit smoking cigarettes in 2009. And it was that last cigarette was the end of a long process of God working in my heart, of God working in my life through my friends and my family, God giving me strength and resolve, God giving me accountability. And it was a process. It wasn't a quick fix. And all struggles with sin and with sin's effects, as long as we live in the world, God forgives our sin in a moment when we trust Jesus. But we still wrestle with it. This is why the Bible talks about the Christian life using metaphors like it's a race, it's a discipline, it's a battle. It's something we persevere in. Lot tried to deal with his fear by leaving town 
and walking away from the thing he was afraid of. But Lot's fear was the result of sin. Whether it was, maybe, maybe he was consciously choosing to cling to his fear over trusting God, that would be sinful. Or maybe he just really struggled with it because of what just happened. That would be like an effect of someone else's sins. But either way, fear was dominating Lot. And he tried a quick fix. Folks, quick fix solutions to dealing with sin in our life never works. Dealing with the sin in our life is a process where God works in us, works in the community around us, the church, works through word and sacrament to help us to grow into the holiness he has already declared over us. Now, quick fix spirituality, it's attractive. It feels like we're really doing something. We can, you know, sign a commitment card, or we can uh, say a special prayer, or we can make some declaration, uh, have some kind of spiritual crisis and think, I've dealt with my problems. Now I'm, I'm all good. I'm free. But sin has a way of haunting us. So quick fix spirituality says once you deal with something, sin, sin in your life or sin around you, it's dealt with. Well, that's not true. When God deals with something, then it's dealt with. And God will be dealing with you and with me the rest of our mortal life. Sin's power, if you're in Christ, is broken in your life. But sin still rears its ugly head, which is one of the reasons that we come here every single week, to be washed by the word, to be filled by faith in the sacrament, to be with one another, to be encouraged, to hear the gospel that God has broken sin's power in our life by declaring us righteous on the basis of Christ's own righteousness. We need that. Okay, so trap number one is quick fix spirituality. Trap number two that... Okay, last two weeks I've gone way over time, so I just checked the time. We have like 10 minutes left, so that's good. Um, trap number two is what I like to call the all-by-myself spirituality trap. Quick fix spirituality and all-by-myself spirituality all by myself spirituality says if it's gonna get done then it's gonna get done by me right uh, lot and his daughters found themselves all alone they said there is not a man left in the world to be our husbands why did they think that because Lot had brought them to a place where there was no other man to be found. <laughs> the all-by-myself trap. You know, we're responsible for our own sins. We're accountable for our own actions. And when Jesus uh, died on the cross, he died on the cross uh, in one sense for specific people for you and for me. 
it says uh, uh, in a song that I think we've sung here before. It says it's like his name is our name is written on his hands. Jesus said, "The Father knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows us." On one hand, the Christian life is something that we we do as individuals, but that's not really the the best way to think about what the Christian life is, big picture, or or even practically. When Jesus described what he was going to do on the cross, even though he does die for us, he did die for us individually, uh, he said, I'm going to lay my life down for my sheep. Plural. And at the end of the Bible, when we see the, the consummation of all things, the the finish line of this uh, life, the, the beginning of all things new, we see Jesus being unified with a people group from every tribe, tongue, and language. The Christian life is about you and about me, but it's actually better described, more biblically described, as something that's about us together. And here's Lot. Uh, I'm afraid of Zoar. Well, that's legitimate. We're going to fix this. Well, that's a trap, but let's, okay, Lot. Uh, let's go to a place where we can just be all alone, me and my girls and the Lord. Uh, red flag. Um, you know, offspring is one of the, uh, as we think about offspring in Abraham's story, anytime that in the story it talks about offspring, like we said a moment ago, that's connected to this redemptive theme. God is saving the world through uh, offspring, right? Specifically, Abraham's offspring. But when they get all alone, Lot and his girls, uh, the, the daughters become fixed on this idea of offspring. And I'm convinced it's not just because of their natural desire to have children. It's not just because ancient Near East culture. Uh, it's because they had been catechized, if you will, in the fact that God was saving the world through offspring. But they left a big part out through Abraham's offspring. And here they go to establish their new people of God isolated in the hills. When Abraham, God's chosen man, was just up on the other hill praying for them. Why did they not go back to Abraham? Why did they isolate themselves as if they thought they were the true church? Abraham was there praying this story starts with Abraham up on the hill looking down, praying where, where, where he had talked to God and advocated for Lot. After this story, do you know what we see Abraham doing? Leaving the campsite. They're not coming back. Um, and the result of all this as they give birth to the Moabites and the Ammonites. These are two nations that throughout the scriptures persecuted and dominated and acted as rivals to the people of God. Now Lot was Abraham's nephew, but he had been counted righteous. He had a place in Abraham's family. But he chose 
to try to do this all by himself. Now, this is applicable to us today. Uh, I've heard a million times, I've even said it myself at times in my life, I love Jesus, but not the church. And I get it. Church is weird. It's hard. We hurt each other. But folks, there is no following Jesus. That's There is no kind of following Jesus that's in any way sustainable or that doesn't lead to messiness without following Jesus as a member of his people. The church is talked about as the bride of Christ. Now, if one of you came to me and said, Charlie, I, I like you, but I don't like your wife. <laughs> and I would maybe try to graciously say, after I recovered, uh, I'd say, well, I'm not sure you really like me yet. Because you don't get me without Becca. Do you see where this is heading? Um, here's another way we fall into this trap. Lot didn't just fall into the trap of thinking he didn't need the rest of Abraham's family. He also fell into the trap of thinking that he and his little new community, him and his daughters, were now like the true line. That's what God was doing in the world. Lot and his girls. And folks, we get caught up into this. We get caught up. Uh, and thinking things like, you know, the true, what God is doing in Portland is Hope Presbyterian Church. It's easy to think that we're all alone as God's people. We're a part of a denomination and a tradition. The Presbyterian Church in America, the tradition is the Reformed tradition. And it would be easy for us to think our denomination is the true church. Our tradition is the true people of God. And you know what? It's part of the true church and the true people of God, but we're not out here all by ourselves. And it's easy for us to get caught up in our little theological preferences or nuances or distinctives. They separate us from the rest of the global church. Well, they, they, we, are the, we are the only ones left. And we're not. If you hold theological distinctives that are keeping you from fellowship with God's believing community, then your distinctives need to be checked. Because God is saving us. And individually, we're invited to be part of it. So that means when we come together as a church, all of us, have areas where we're going to be stretched. Thanksgiving is coming up this week. Chances are all of us are going to have somebody at our family, families or our friends giving table that annoys us. Right? But we're family. So as we move forward in this new season together as a church, Let's remember that we're all in process here. All of us are in process before the Lord. No one has achieved perfection. Jesus, because of the gospel, we're made righteous before God. But in the gospel, we are continually in the process of striving for holiness. So let's remember that we're an imperfect people. Let's also remember that 
really, there's no sustainable Christian life unless we're doing it together. In the coming season, we're because I'm new. Well, there'll be things maybe you might learn about me that you that bother you. Or maybe there'll be things in this new season that we try as a church. We eventually find a new location. Or maybe there'll be things in our liturgy that we maybe try something new. And all of us at various points along the way are going to have things that we think, hmm, you know, I really like, uh, I really like when Charlie preached from a straight microphone stand. Now maybe, but, and now he's preaching from a pulpit. Or, you know, we joked about that earlier. Or uh, maybe we... Uh, you know, before Jesse led with the guitar, and now he leads with the piano, or, you know, whatever. All of us are going to have things that we say, oh, uh, you know, that's hard for me. But remember, we're all in process, and we're in it together. And quick fix, spirituality, and all by myself spirituality, they're traps. Then the words of uh, Dr. Tony Evans uh, put us in a pitiful place. <laughs> So let's look to Jesus together. The one who shepherds us like sheep every step of the way. And the one who gave his life for us as a community. That's where our hope is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for these kinds of passages that are, are like flashing warning lights that say, don't come this way. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Uh, we are so just culturally individualistic, and at times that's really good, but it sure does make it hard sometimes to think of ourselves as a community before you. And culturally, we love quick fixes, uh, but that's not the way that you uh, make us holy. Uh, Lord, thank you for justifying us in moments of time because of Christ's righteousness and not because of our own, because we would never get there. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be committed to one another and be gracious to each other. And Lord, I pray that you would help us not to be like Lot in this passage, but help us to have our eyes fixed on Jesus together, not neglecting one another, but staying together, following you with all of our hearts. Would you bless us on this journey? In Jesus' name, amen.